Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with David Stone about overcoming anxiety for individual, team, and organizational success. David Stone, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you, John. I really appreciate you having me here today. Yeah, I'm excited to have a really fun discussion. It's actually strange for me, I suppose, to say a fun discussion about the topic that we're going to be discussing. Uh, But we're going to be talking about overcoming anxiety, Um, generally talking about anxiety and the role that plays in our lives, but also from a human capital perspective, what does that mean for organizations and how do we help overcome anxiety um, for individuals, team, and organizational success. Uh, and I really, it's true, I am excited about the conversation, even though it's a, it's a heavy topic, because uh, it's so important. And I, and I think listeners tune in to hear our discussion about these types of issues uh, as leaders are grappling with how to deal with these types of challenging um, issues, particularly, I think, right now amidst COVID and um, all the, the stuff that 2020 has been throwing at us. I think there's heightened, heightened levels of anxiety and stress. Uh, and there's just so much change occurring that I think this is a really important thing for leaders to be attuned to. Um, so I'm excited to have the conversation. Uh, as we get rolling, I just wanted to share David's bio with everyone. David Stone is a transformational speaker and leader dedicated to helping people overcome the anxieties, worries, and self-doubts that keep us all from achieving our highest potential. He has been a successful architect, entrepreneur, and master marketer. He remains a wannabe painter and pianist and continues to explore the mysteries of his own inner workings. At an age when most people retire, he has reinvented himself to follow his life's passion. Fed up with fear, anxiety, and self-doubt that got in the way of the life he wanted to live, he set out to find a better way. Now he shares what he's learned through books, online courses, workshops, keynotes, and blogs. He is the author of Unsubscribe from Anxiety, Opt Out of the Myth that Worry is Required, and Take Charge of Your Own Life Now. And his next book, The Fearless Decision, How to Live in the World Without Being Afraid of It, will be out in November 2020. Uh, Again, uh, such a pleasure and an honor to have you here, David. Welcome. And anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of personal background or context? Oh, well, thank you for reading all that. Uh, 
But yeah, there are a couple of interesting things that got me down this road. Now, you, you know, as you read in the bio, you know, I started life as an architect a long time ago, designing buildings. And that sort of morphed into being a marketer uh, for other architects and engineers in the construction industry. I spent 30 years doing that. And, um, but in the middle of it, well, no, not in the middle of it, actually, about 10 years ago, I was 55 years of age when I literally worried myself into homelessness. In August of 2009, I spent the month living in my car. And I'm, now the interesting thing is I'm still, simultaneously, I'm still an international marketing consulting, consultant, hopping on airplanes, serving clients, and still living in my car. Now that's a story in itself. We won't, we won't get into that today. But basically, uh, I think when you have an issue that you're not dealing with. The universe has this wonderful way of eventually smacking you upside the head with a two by four and says, hey, you got to deal with this. And sometimes it's a divorce. Sometimes it's a heart attack. For me, it was homelessness. And so I finally said, hey, David, come on, you're smarter than this. You've got two university degrees. You're, you know, you've written a bunch of 15 books. Uh, how did this happen? And what are you going to do about it? And it's really tempting to blame I'll, you know, look around and say, all right, whose fault is this? Because it sure as heck isn't mine. And as I ran through all that stuff, sitting in my car trying to sleep, I, I kind of was forced into realizing that as I looked at every single situation and, and circumstance that led to that, there was one common denominator, and it was me. I was the only one present for everything that led up to this situation. So I said, well, maybe there's a message in there. So at that point, I said, I got to figure this out. And I knew I didn't need therapy and I knew I didn't need medication. And I said, I want to figure this out. So I started reading and studying and learning everything I could about how my brain works, because I know anxiety is just in our heads. It's not some external um, objective reality that we're all uh, subjected to, because, you know, you can take three different people in the same circumstance and they're going to have three different, you know, one is going to get really anxious about it and one's going to say, you know, get mildly upset. And the third one's going to say, Hey, this is great. And so I set out to figure out what it was and I found the solution for me. And finally, when I turned 65 and most people um, uh, want to retire, I finally figured out what I want to be when I grow up. And that is, I want to help people because, because as you said, you know, there's, we got, yeah, we got a pandemic with coronavirus right now, but we've also got an epidemic of anxiety. It's just rampant. Even before the pandemic, anxiety was out of control. So I said, I, I figured this out for myself. I want to share it with other people. So that's what I've been doing ever since. And that's when I I wrote the book. It's about a year ago now that that first book, The Unsubscribed from Anxiety, came out. And the title of that book really uh, is designed to make the point that anxiety is a choice that we make. It is a mental choice that we make because we, in any given situation, we have the choice of how we want to respond to it. And we have been responding with fear and worry and anxiety for so long and it is so common out there that it appears to us that that's a natural response and it's just become a habit and so we continue to respond that way 
And when I discovered that it is not necessary, not necessary, and it's not actually, uh, well, it is normal in that it is, so many people do it, but it's not natural. And normal, you know, obesity is also normal and and heart disease is also normal and underfunded schools are also normal. None of them are things that we want to have around or are required to have around and good people are working really hard to get rid of those things. And it's the same with anxiety. Well, thank you for a little bit of background to your own story and your own experience uh, and what's driving you and motivating you. Uh, to to be engaged in this way, uh, I think I think that's really great. And you said something at the very beginning of your remarks that I think is also important to note. You you mentioned that you figured it out for you, and that you mm-hmm. knew you knew for you that you didn't need therapy and that you didn't need medications. Uh, I do want to acknowledge, you know, that that anxiety uh, can be you know a debilitating type of mental health challenge. And, and many people do need therapy and many people do need medication uh, to be able to yes. cope and to deal with it. Um, and, and to your point, though, there's there's, you know, it's a spectrum, right? There's there's different mm-hmm. levels um, in physiological responses and, and brain chemistry. It's different for everybody. And so what we're, we're, not, we're yeah. not suggesting, you know, that there's a one size fits all here. But you're also absolutely right that, you know, one of the things that therapists do when they meet with people who are, are dealing with stress and anxiety issues um, is they, they'll talk to them about the, the mental dialogue that's going on in their head and the types of mechanisms that they have in their life to deal with the stressors that they're experiencing. And frankly, as, as human beings, we're really good at coming up with unhealthy ways to deal with our stress and anxiety. And we learn, we learn those over time, even from the time we're young children, and we carry those habits forward. And so, you know, frankly, a lot of people who need therapy, I'm actually a fan of, of uh, therapy. I think most people probably could benefit from it from some, in one way or another. Yeah. But, but if you're going to therapy for anxiety, you know, a good amount of what you're doing there is l- learning to self-reflect and look inward, learning how to deconstruct your, your, the mental narrative in your head, um, learning how to understand the mechanisms and the, the, um, the coping mechanisms that you're using and whether or not they're healthy or unhealthy and how to then embrace more healthy mechanism, you know, coping mechanisms. That's Um, exactly right, John. And I want to reinforce what you just said. And that is, uh, and there's a, you know, the, the opening page of my book says, you know, I recognize there is genuine mental illness and there is, you know, debilitating anxiety. And for that, I'm so grateful that there exists uh, the medications and the therapies. Uh, But there's also a whole class of people of which I'm one, uh, you know, sort of uh, intelligent, self-directed people who nonetheless, we have this sort of low-grade constant anxiety. In fact, there's a term and it's called high-functioning anxiety. You see a lot of people who, you know, are quite normal, go through the day, but they're spending their entire day, I'm having a conversation with you thinking, well, oh, what's he thinking about me right now? And, you know, did he la- why didn't he laugh at the joke that I just told? Does he not think it's... For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger. 
because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And we just go crazy. Uh, so there are a lot of things that a person can do for themselves. Uh, and as you say, it's rethinking and, and uh, how am I coping with these things? Am I you know, stuffing donuts in my face or am I kicking the dog? Or you know, There's a lot of unhealthy ways to cope with it, but uh, there are also a whole lot of really healthy ways. So, yeah, I, and yeah. I think my biggest message is that for someone who is not suffering from genuine mental illness, anxiety does not have to be a part of your life. And we get the message so often that, hey, it's just normal. Everybody worries. Well, no, actually. And I have reached a point in my life where I genuinely do not worry anymore. And I know what it's like to worry. And I wake up every morning thinking, hey, bring it on. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's super interesting. Yeah, and I, I, I was thinking of some parallels before I get to a couple kind of silly parallels that I'll share. Sure. Um, I've just been thinking about, you know, some of those times in my life too. We all have, you know, good days, bad days. We ebb and flow, yep. right? And I remember there was a time, this was maybe six years ago, where I had, you know, a professional disappointment, like a pretty substantial pro- professional disappointment um, yep. that I was dealing with and and just some other life things that were occurring and there, there were several things kind of layering up and, and adding up. And, and mm-hmm. I remember, um, I went through a period of probably, a, you know, two, three months of pretty substantial stress, anxiety, and probably depression. Um, yeah. I never, I never, um, went to see a therapist about it and I never got medication for it and it eventually worked itself out. But, um, but that was kind of a darker period, you know, for me. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, as I think back to that and I, and I relate to that and like, what did, what were, what were some of the, the warning signs of that, you know, and I had sleep issues and I had, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was, I was coping with food, you know, and, and yeah. things, things like that. These are common approaches that people take. And it, it's been helpful for me to reflect on that though. And, and to think about, you know, what caused it, what helped mm-hmm. get me out of it. Um, and, and trying to take uh, healthy approaches moving forward so I can have a, a, a healthy, sustainable approach to life each and every day. Now, some of the, the, the silly types of parallels I was thinking of in my mind in terms of, is it normal? Um, mm-hmm. so not connected to anxiety, uh, or mental illness at all, but as a kid, you know, just like most kids, I wanted to go to amusement parks. Yeah. Um, the, the rides are fun. You're with your friends. You're having a good time. People are screaming and yelling. Now I, mm-hmm. I have my entire life. I've always had motion sickness, um, oh, okay. m- more than a, no- a normal person, yeah. right? Sure. Uh, a, typ- a typical person will have moments of motion sickness and they don't feel good, but they pass now. Yeah. So I would go to amusement parks and for years I would go and I'd go with friends and I'd put on a happy face and then I'd go on a roller coaster or one of those rides and it, it, it didn't make sense to me. Like, how is this enjoyable? But I knew everyone else was having a good time. So I knew, uh-huh. I, was, I, knew I was supposed to be having a good time. So I just yeah. like ripped my teeth and got through it. And uh, this may be too much information for people, but 
the number of times that I have like thrown up at an amusement mm -hmm. park after being on a ride is an enormous number for me. Um, but I kept yeah. on, do I kept on doing it. I kept on going back cause I just thought that's what everyone did. That's what that's what was normal. And it wasn't until I was in a, like a, in my twenties, a young adult that I realized that no, in fact, that's not normal. Most people, you know, people go on an, uh, a roller coaster for the adrenaline rush and the thrill, and they might even have a little bit of nausea, but it's not overwhelming and it, it right. doesn't stick with them for hours afterwards. You know, it passes. And for me, that's because, a, yeah. for, for that's me, that's a really great uh, life example, John, but I want to take it and sort of amp it up a bit because sure, it, sure. it highlights something that is all too common. Now, instead of all your friends saying, hey, come on to the amusement park, this is fun. What about all your friends saying, you know, you really should be a doctor because a uh, doctor, you know, that's a really prestigious uh, career and it pays really well. Or you should be a lawyer or your parents saying, I'm an engineer, you should be an engineer too. And so you do it. And instead of uh, a, an afternoon at the park that was very unpleasant, now you got a lifetime that you're saying, why am I not enjoying this? Everybody tells me I'm supposed to be happy. Or you got into a relationship because everybody says, hey, come on, you're 26. You're supposed to be getting married by now. Everybody else is. Okay, well, I guess I will. And then you try scratching your head, figuring out why am I not happy? They, everybody tells me I'm supposed to be happy. And because I'm not, I'm worried there's something wrong with me. This is the thing that happens when and, and the anxiety comes along. Yeah, and, and, and we see that over and over and over again. So, you know, one, one of the things that I like to think about, you know, for myself and for others around me or in a leadership role when I'm working with my team, you know, what yeah. are we doing to be present in the moment, present and attuned to ourselves and mm -hmm. in, our, in our needs and what kind of self-care are we practicing on a regular basis? And if we take the time to be present and mind, we practice mindfulness and we practice self-reflection, then we can start to better understand those aspects of ourselves. Um, so that yeah. we have, so we have good career alignment. We have good relational alignment. We have, you know, all these different pieces that really wear on you day in and day out when the alignment and the, when there's a mismatch and the alignment's off. Oh, absolutely. It is. It just grinds. And it's, it's this weight that we're pulling along. I like to envision it as this anchor that I'm dragging behind me. And it was interesting you, when you talked about your uh, period, two or three months that you said you went through. And how great would it be if instead of two or three months, because, hey, stuff happens to all of us. I just had, uh, I do some coaching and I had a call yesterday with one of my clients who yesterday morning got called in and they said, we're laying you off. You know, and so he called me, ah, what am I going to do? And he was really, you know, he was quite down, uh, understandably. But imagine instead of two or three months, we were able to learn processes that allowed us to deal with that in two or three days or two or three hours. Okay. Now I processed it. I've dealt with it. It's done. Now I'm back up to top uh, to peak performance and I can move on because 
stuff happens. We get hit by things. I was telling you before we signed on here, my computer crashed yesterday and I live with that thing. I, you know, it's, it's my lifeline. So, you know, do I get stressed about it? No. What's the point of that? It doesn't help. And, and that really is the thing about anxiety. And one of my motivators for trying to deal with this is that when you, uh, when you think about anxiety, um, there are four good reasons to find a way to get rid of it in your life. Number one, it feels awful. It's one of the worst emotions that we as humans can experience. Number two, it never solves anything. No one has ever, you know, okay, I'm going to worry about this for three days and lie awake for three nights. Ah, there, now everything's better. Problem solving is a very different process than worry. Worry goes around and around in circles, and you're back at the same place you were 24 hours ago. Problem solving is a logical, reason-based uh, activity that takes potential solutions, weighs them, plus and minus, and then puts into action and tests, etc. So, But worry never solved anything. So that's the second reason. The third reason is it literally makes you sick. I mean, the long list of things that happen to you when you have chronic anxiety is really scary. But the fourth, and I think the most damaging uh, consequence of ongoing anxiety, is that it becomes a roadblock to us. It becomes a barrier. We immediately limit ourselves. And this is why I was talking about an anchor that we're dragging behind, because we stop ourselves before we even think about trying. You know, oh, I'd like to start my own business. Oh, no, 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 I can't do that. That's really scary. What if I go broke? What if I, you know, what would my friends say if this doesn't work out the way it should be? Uh, it's a whole lot safer right here in the career that I'm in. Bam, dead end. We're done. Or, you know, I, I'm in this relationship. It's not working. I really should end it. Oh, but, you know, I just can't face the conversation that that would be. Or what do I say, you know? What would I say to my friend? What would I say to the kids if they're, et cetera? And so this fear keeps us from doing the things that we need to do. And that's the same in any kind of an organization. Now, it's really interesting when you think about organizations because there are two levels of fear and anxiety there. One is on the individual, where we as individuals all have our own fears. But corporations are just sort of big, complex people and there are the, the collective consciousness of, uh, of organizations really reflects them. And they all have their own fears. And, and never forget, um, I was asked to be the keynote speaker to a, a, a client of mine. This is probably 10 years ago now. But um, it was an engineering firm in the Midwest. And they were having their annual conference. And, they would, and I was there to talk about marketing and how we can rate crank things up and the speaker that i followed came from their liability insurance provider and he'd spent an hour telling them just how awful everything is and 27 ways that we're all going to either end up in jail or bankrupt or dead <laughs> and i walk into the room and there's these 50 adults all whimpering and calling for their mamas <laughs> and so that is um there's a collective anxiety that organizations have that they immediately say, oh, we can't do that. Oh, no, 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 that's, that's not the sort of thing we do. And immediately set up roadblocks to their own, to the organization's progress. 
uh, and all of us sort of buy into that uh, groupthink and the idea that, you know, that's why people, you know, celebrate people who think out of the box or they either celebrate them or fire them, one or the other. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, or they run them out of town with pitchforks, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, it goes exactly. either way. But, you, no, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, I think um, the amount of self-limiting that we do as individuals when we are overwhelmed and overcome by anxiety and the amount of um, self-limiting that teams and organizations do because they're too compliance-based. A compliance culture is an anxiety culture in my mind because you're, it, you're, it really is. You're doing everything based on, will we get sued? Are we going to get fined? And instead of thinking strategically and forward thinking and trying to figure out like what, what's a solution, you're constantly yeah. thinking of in terms of deficits and limitations. And so I, I see yeah, that all a, the time. I've got a phrase for that. And is it's basically, are you making your decisions, uh, in, on a, ba- a fear-based decision or a joy-based decision. And you can tell because as you ponder the decision, if you're thinking, uh-oh, you know, if I do this, here are all the things that, bad things that might happen, versus, ooh, here are all the things that might, that good things that could happen. Um, and there's, we have common phrases in the world. You know, people say, well, what's the worst that could happen? That's sort of, you know, the, the standard response. Why do we not ever say, what's the best that could happen? You know, you get a knock, the, the doorbell rings unexpectedly. Uh-oh, you know, I bet it's the police. I bet my son was in an accident. I bet you know, Johnny's in trouble at school or whatever. Why do we not then think, oh, maybe it's the publisher's clearinghouse with my million-dollar check? But, you know, we've just, and this is why I say it's a habit. It's a mental habit. Uh, that w- if we catch yourself, like any habit, it can be replaced. But first, you have to be aware that you've got the habit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, in our final few minutes, um, mm. I would love to to hear your thoughts on what, if I'm an organizational leader, I have a team of people, you know, what, whatever level of the organization you're talking about, you have your direct report, people um, who look to you um, as a model, as an example, what can I do as a leader to model healthy habits uh, in terms of self-care and wellness and help my people through the anxiety that might be limiting them? Oh, that's a really good, uh, really great question. One of the things, especially with COVID these days, we're seeing an awful lot of advice about how to handle anxiety, but all of it, or virtually all of it, is about dealing with symptoms. So, you know, drink some chamomile tea, go for a long walk in the woods, put a, you know, get a weighted blanket, whatever it is, um, which in the moment is helpful, but it doesn't dig out the root problem that we've got. And so what I would suggest to leaders is the first step is to recognize that, yes, we make decisions in habitual ways and to become aware of those habits and the fact that we have the option to make a different set of habits. And all you have to do is look around at other organizations that are culturally different and say, oh, we do in fact have that option. So that's the first one. The second one is to look at the way we make decisions. And as you pointed out, am I making decisions based on, oh, I have to comply with all these things or bad stuff's going to happen? Um, or do I make decisions on, uh, you know, what might happen? I, I, Richard Branson is such a hero of mine, you know, and his famous saying, screw it, let's do it. 
yeah, we're aware that there are some bad things that can happen. Nobody just marches into it blind. But the but let's examine ourselves, raise, and you talk about mindfulness. Let's have a corporate mindfulness that says, how? what is our habitual decision-making process? Do we make it from a position of fear or do we make it from a position of opportunity and hope and optimism? Uh, we're not blind to risks. Great entrepreneurs are trained professional risk takers. We know what the risks are, but we take them anyway. And we mitigate them as much as possible. But if all we ever do is hide under a rock and say, no, we can't do that. So I would begin to look at and, and start small. You know, let's not say, okay, let's invest, let's, you know, <laughs> bet the farm on this. Um, but start small and say, let's try making some more adventurous decisions or joy-based decisions. Uh, it takes a little while. You've got to become aware like any habit. Uh, so that's where I'd start as awareness, awareness that you actually have the choice. And then as you look at each situation, say, all right, how could we approach this from a point of view of optimism and opportunity rather than avoiding any harm that might come. That's where I'd begin. Great. I, I really like that. And, and as a leader, again, I can model and I can, through coaching and mentoring and my, my performance discussions with my people, you know, I can take those opportunities, both formal and informal interactions. I can take those opportunities to help my people recognize and understand um, healthy approaches and mechanisms, how to reduce, if not eliminate, the negative self-talk, the negative behaviors that limit our capacity, that limit our uh, potential uh, to achieve and to be happy and joyful. Um, and and if I if I can help everyone recognize and understand, like what's what's the path forward in order for me to be able to understand, recognize, and then to achieve my own best human potential? That will then lead to better performance for myself, for my team, for my organization. And it's going to be a win-win all across the board. You're going to have healthier yeah. people. You're going to have stronger teams. You're going to have greater organizational performance. At the end of the day, you know, that's what we need within uh, an organizational setting is we need success to drive, you know, customer loyalty. Um, and that will help maintain and keep the organization sustainable um, while also, you know, looking out for the health and well-being of our people. Absolutely, on, on all those points. You know, there's, I just want to throw in one tiny little example. One of the things that we're dealing with in this country right now is uh, racial, and racial problems. And one of the things that organizations deal with, have been for a while now, is diversity. One of the reasons that we don't have the diversity that we ought to have is fear that says, uh, okay, I, if I hire people that look like me, talk like me, think like me, then, okay, I, then it's nice and safe. But if I hire people that don't look like me, don't think like me, don't talk like me, that's, that makes me nervous. I don't know where we're going to go. And so in the process, we lose all the incredible opportunity that comes from thinking out of the box. And so, but, you know, so we can see the lack of diversity as a fear-based uh, fear-based action and decision-making. Yeah, absolutely. Well, David, it has been a real pleasure chatting with you today. Um, some really great insights that you shared. 
Uh, before we close, I just want to give you the last word and give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you and find out more about what you're doing, uh, find your book, et cetera. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I think the big, the first place I'd send anybody is we have a Facebook group. We've just recently started. It's called the Fearless Living and Growth Society. And as, as the name implies, we're there to help each other say, no, I want to do things fearlessly. So instead of anxiety-based, it's fearless. We're trying to move to fearlessness. And uh, so that would be the great place. Uh, you know, when we talk about the processes, the book, which is available on Amazon, Unsubscribe from Anxiety, uh, that's got a lot of detailed steps of how you can go through this, applicable to individuals as well as organizations. I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody. You can get in touch with me directly through the Facebook group and uh, happy to hop on a, on a call with anybody just to chat. Great. Thank you. It's, it's really, truly been a pleasure talking with you today. I hope listeners will reach out, get connected, find out more about what you can do for them. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day, and that you all have a great week. Thank you. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.